So here's, here's how we're going to start this morning. Uh, my wife, Carrie, finally got her wish this year of, of planting a garden. Things just hadn't been convenient, hadn't worked out for us in the previous 13 years of our marriage. So, so this, was, this was the year we were finally going to plant our garden. So we're that family now that has tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers and probably some other things that you can eat as well. And we're getting to the point where, where pretty soon we're going to be that family that is just randomly dropping bags of produce in different places because we've got to offload it somewhere. We, we've probably done everything creative we can do with smoothies and juicing stuff. We, we shouldn't experiment anymore. So if you start to see like any randomly planted plastic bags of tomatoes, cucumbers, uh, they're for me. Just to make sure they don't end up back on my porch. So... That's a really long way for me to say Carrie started gardening. And one of the side benefits that we have found with this gardening is, is that our twin four-year-old boys love it. They are digging the fact that we've got a garden that they can help with. Uh, they're, they're loving especially the fact that, that the plants are starting to bear some fruit, some, some, some produce that they can eat. Um, Keller, one of our twins come home from work probably two weeks ago, he's sitting in our kitchen, has this huge cucumber, is just gnawing on it. You know, I mean, just like, whatever. I, I mean, so I say, Keller, you can cut that into slices. He goes, yep. And then he just kind of buries his face in it again and keeps gnawing it. So, so they love having a garden. But, but up until this point, and all throughout this process, my wife, Carrie, has assumed the role of coach for the four-year-old twins that have been involved in this. Because, because, a boy that's four years old doesn't intuitively know a lot about gardening. Uh, they, they needed to be taught patience by Carrie when they planted the seeds and they didn't pop up right away. They needed to be told, hey guys, it takes a few days or a few weeks for these, for these things to sprout. The, the boys needed to be told by Carrie, hey guys, you, you've got to get out and water and weed and do the things that you do to cultivate the growth of the garden, that they've had to learn what, what fruit looks like, so that way they don't pick off the tomatoes when it's just starting to pop up on the vine and it's still small and green. But, but no, they wait until the tomato is large and red and ripe, ready to be picked. If, if Carrie hadn't taken this role of coach for them, there's no way the twins would have known what healthy growth of a garden looks like. If, uh, if something isn't functional for a four-year-old boy, pretty soon it, it, it turns into a weapon or it becomes a weapon, right? And so like this plant, little, before it like starts bearing cucumbers or whatever, it would have become a whip, you know? I mean, and maybe a cool one, but it would have been a whip. But, but so they needed Carrie to tell them, hey, 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 don't be discouraged. Growth takes a while. They needed Carrie to tell them, Hey, hey, get to work, guys. Uh, we've got some work to do in, in weeding and feeding the garden. That They needed Carrie to tell them, here's what a healthy cucumber or tomato looks like. They needed someone to tell them what healthy growth looks like, right? And this morning, what I want to talk with all of us about is what does healthy Christian growth look like? Because just like my twins, if we don't have somebody come alongside of us and tell us what, what healthy growth looks like, we can get all sorts of messed up pretty quickly. We'll get discouraged more quickly than we should. 
We'll misunderstand what our role is in cultivating growth. We'll have a wrong picture of what the fruit is that should be being produced in us. We need someone to show us what healthy growth looks like. And so, so our driving question this morning, see it on your screens, what does healthy Christian growth look like? And we all need to tune into this. If you call yourself a Christian, we, we all need a feedback loop, right? To help us know if we're on the right track. To help us know if what we are pursuing is what we should be pursuing. To help us know if this is what healthy Christian growth looks like, and if we are living our lives absolutely contradictory to that, we need to do some of that very important and very serious heart work. So if we call ourselves Christians, we need this sort of feedback loop. But even if you don't identify as a Christ follower, I still want you to tune in with me this morning. At the very least, as we talk about what, what healthy growth looks like, this might help you understand where your Christian friends are coming from. Because I'm sure they do some things that you think are weird, but you'll, you'll better understand their motivation and some of, the, some of the reasons they do what they do if you listen closely to me this morning. But, but maybe, if you don't identify as a Christ follower, run, one of the reasons that you don't is because you have this caricature in your mind of what a healthy Christian looks like. Maybe you've had some sort of bad experience in the past. Maybe you've heard about that thing that Christians do that you just say, if that's what Christianity involves, ain't no way, you know? Maybe that's you. But, but this morning, we are going to see from God's Word what healthy Christian growth looks like. And maybe, just maybe, you realize that those pictures you had in your mind of Christianity aren't what healthy Christianity looks like. Maybe you'll realize that the character that Christianity can produce in us should produce in us. Maybe you realize, I need some of that. Maybe you realize that the future hope that Christianity offers us is compelling to you. So, so for all of us, we need to be asking the question, what does healthy Christian growth look like? We're not left to guesswork on this. The place we're going this morning is 2 Peter, where the Apostle Peter spends a bunch of verses be becoming our coach, coming alongside of us and saying, you need to know what healthy Christian growth looks like, and then he spells it out for us. So, so the place we're going this morning, 2 Peter chapter 1. Turn with me there in your Bibles or follow along with, with me on the screens. We're going to read a chunk of Scripture this morning. Elsewhere in the New Testament, God's Word says, devote yourself to the public reading of God's Word. So we're going to do a little bit of that this morning. So, so follow along with me closely as we read this whole passage, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 15, and then I'll circle back around after that, and we'll start walking through it a little bit more slowly, and we'll see everything that God's Word can teach us in this chapter about Christian growth. So starting out in verse 1, 2 Peter says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly living through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them 
you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and my sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then Peter continues, verse 12, So I will always remind you of these things. I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory, as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made known to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. The the picture we get here in this passage is that faith grows. Verse 2, it says, we've received this faith that the apostles have handed down to us. But then as we read through the rest of that passage, we see that this faith doesn't, it shouldn't lie dormant in us. This faith should grow. This faith should do something in us and to us and through us. That's what this passage is all about. What that sort of growth in faith looks like. What it should look like. So let's dig in. Let's start back over at the beginning. See what Peter can tell us about what healthy growth looks like. First, and this is important, first, Christian growth is rooted in God's grace. Christian growth is rooted in God's grace. You'll see up on the screens the first handful of verses or so, and you'll see in verses 3 and 4 that, that, that Peter just draws attention again and again to the possibility of growth in our lives. So if you skip down a couple lines, you see in verse 3 that that his divine power has given us everything we need for godly life. The possibility of growth is there for all of us, not just for the spiritually elite. Verse 4 says that, that we can participate in the divine nature. That's Peter's way of saying that, that we can actually have God's character, have Christ's character shaped in us. So, so, so Peter holds out in front of us this possibility of growth. But a bunch of times in these verses, he roots that growth entirely in grace. Let's look at that. Verse 1, almost right out of the shoot after he says, hey, I'm Peter, he says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, not because of us, Brookside, but through his righteousness, through Christ's righteousness, we have this possibility of growth. Verse 3, he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for godly living. How? Through our knowledge of him. 
who called us, not because we were so great, he called us by his own glory and goodness. And then in verse 4, we participate in the divine nature by his very great and precious promises. What, what all of these verses are driving home for us again and again is that the possibility of growth is rooted in God's grace. All of these things that we saw, Christ's righteousness, our knowledge of him, his promises, all these things are outside of ourselves. We don't grow by tapping into some innate stuff inside of ourselves. We don't grow by just ramping up some, will, some more willpower. That's not where we start. No. If you want to grow, we need to start with Christ. The source of our growth is always Jesus, his righteousness, our knowledge of him, his promises. You see it? When people are talking with me about Christian growth then, the place that all of us need to begin is the grace that Jesus offers us because of who he is and what he's done. We need to sink our roots deeply into who Jesus is, what he offers us. Let me see if I can help us, help us visualize this a little bit. Let's, let's imagine you decided to plant a tree in your front yard or at your school or at a park somewhere, and you, you, you found the tree that you want to put in your yard or in the park or wherever. So, so you go to that tree that you want to move to your yard, and you, you wouldn't plant that tree by cutting off the tree that you want kind of two or four inches above the ground, would you? You wouldn't just kind of say, okay, here's the tree that I want. I like the way it looks, so I'm just going to saw it off as close to the ground as I can and then kind of pick it up, move it to your yard, which is probably further away than this, kind of stick it in the ground, stake it in there somehow, and then expect it to grow. No, the tree wouldn't grow. Why wouldn't it? Because we're missing the most important thing that are needed, that's needed for the tree to grow. We're missing the root system. Did you know that a tree's roots extend past its, branch, its branches by two, three, or sometimes even four times that diameter? So if you see a big tree, that means there's even a bigger network of roots underneath that tree nourishing its growth. You can't plant a tree without the roots. You need one of those big trucks that, can, has that, that has that huge spade on it that can dig down, get not just the tree, but dig underneath the ground, get the root system as, as well, and then you're ready to plant it in your yard, right? If we tried to grow as a Christian without rooting our growth first and most in God's grace, we're just sawing off a tree at ground level and trying to stick it into our life. It can't be done. It won't be sustained. I love how Martin Luther in the 16th century drives this home for us. Listen to what he says. Get used to some 16th century language here. Martin Luther says, I must, I must hearken to the gospel, which teacheth me not what I ought to do. Let me, let me just stop there, because that thing, so often we just reduce growth, what do I have to do? What, just tell me what I got to do, I'm there. Martin Luther says, wrong place to start. I hearken to the gospel, which tells me not what I ought to do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me, to wit, 16th century language, that he suffered and died 
to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel willeth me to receive this and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of godliness consisteth. That's his way of saying, you want to know about godliness, about growing in Christ-likeness? Start with the gospel. And then he says, most necessary it is then that we should know this article well. Teach it unto others. And then just hear me say this, and beat it into their heads continually. Beat it into our heads continually. If you want to start growing in the Christian faith, if you want to keep growing in the Christian faith, that the place we always start is, is Jesus, God's grace, everything that that, that that rich soil that our roots need to be rooted in. So our, so our growth is rooted in God's grace, but there's more. Peter teaches us also that, that growth involves our effort. Now, now, don't forget everything we just said. So I'll say this one more time just so we've got it. Don't forget everything I've said about growth because of grace. Just because we're moving on to what Peter says next doesn't mean we're moving past it. The, the ground and the source of our growth is always grace. But just because growth is rooted in grace, that doesn't make us passive in growing as well. Look with me at verses 5, 6, and 7 of 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter, after talking about all of these great and precious promises that God has given us in Christ, he says, for this very reason, what? Make every effort to grow and to, to add to your faith goodness. And then he goes on to list a whole bunch of characteristics. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Spend yourselves on these things. For some of us, what, what Peter is saying here messes us up a little bit, especially if you've grown up in certain church circles. Uh, if that's you, when you hear the word effort, immediately alarm bells start going off in your brain. And, and the place your brain goes is to something Christian lingo calls works righteousness. Effort? Oh, whoa, we need to back up from there. All that saying, works righteousness, that's just a fancy schmancy way of saying that, that we earn our right standing before God because of what we bring to the table. That, that's not what Peter is saying here. Remember verses 1, 2, 3, and 4? We've covered that. Nevertheless, we need to follow Peter's train of thought. For him, all of that grace that we received, everything that Christ has done for us and offers to us, that should motivate our effort. It shouldn't scare us away from effort. It should drive us to it. That's why in verse 5, Peter says, for this very reason, because of those promises, spend yourself on cultivating this sort of character. To Peter, there, there's no disconnect between grace and effort. <laughs> to him, there is something very natural about completely relying on God's grace for salvation and then spending ourselves fully in, in effort towards these characteristics that he spells out in verses 5, 6, and 7. I love how this guy by the name of Dallas Willard, 
says it. Dallas Willard passed away a few months ago. A lot of you will have heard his name before because he's written a, a bunch of books. Um, but, but he says, grace isn't opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. We don't earn our salvation, but, but the grace we have received should motivate us to live in a way that honors the one who gave himself for us. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. It's a great paraphrase of 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's, let's camp on these verses a little bit longer, though, because I want us to notice what Peter tells us to spend our effort on. If this is what we're supposed to devote ourselves to, let's, let's stop long enough to notice what it is. And let's, let's notice that everything Peter says here are virtues. They're characteristics. Peter doesn't give us some list of ten things you can do, quickly check the box off of, and then move on from. No. We, we should always be growing in these things for the rest of our lives. Peter doesn't give us a list of legalisms. Peter says, be a new kind of people. A, Peter, a, a, a people that are transformed by God's grace in Jesus Christ. But, but I do want to go practical for a few minutes because virtues can be tough to apply. What does it look like for us to grow in this direction for the rest of our lives? What, what practically do we need to do to start to live with this framework in mind? First thing, if, if we're going to grow in virtue, if we're going to spend every effort towards faith and goodness and self-control and knowledge and everything else Peter lists there, the first thing we need to do, we need to value virtue. It's the place to start. It sounds obvious, but, but if we don't want virtue, we're not going to sustain growth towards it. If what's driving you to be the person you want to be, if it's just going through the motions or trying to impress some guy or some girl or some group of, person, group of people you're trying to impress, it won't last. We need something deeper than that. We need something that will actually change what we want. And that's where the Bible gives us categories for that. The Bible says, listen to me here, the Bible says that one of the things Christ's saving work does in us is it gives us a new heart. It replaces, to use biblical language, this heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. What that's getting at is that over the course of time, this new heart that Jesus gives should actually shape us at the level of what we want. We want different things. Christianity isn't about external growth. It's about growing from the inside out. And that starts with the level of desires, of what we value. So, 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 so if you don't value these virtues, the application is, is pray that the new heart that God offers would take root in you or continue taking root in you even to the point where you say, God, you aren't satisfied with me going through the motions. If, if what you want is, is, is my wants, you know, if what you want is my desires, then shape me even at that level. So we, we value virtue. Second practical thing that we can do is just we identify what in this list needs attention in 2 Peter chapter 1. That's where we take a look at those virtues and say, okay, there's probably one or two or three or all of these things that I need to continue growing in. 
And if you don't think so, talk with the people that you drove with here in the car this morning. They'll tell you where you need to work on some things, you know. I dare you to have this conversation over lunch, you know, with your wife or your husband or your kids or your roommate or your group of friends and say, hey, let's look at this list of things. Where do I need some work? You'll get some input, you know. Identify what needs attention. And then third practical thing that, that I'll mention is you just get to work. You, you start building habits and accountability into your life that will intentionally cultivate these sorts of virtues. This is where that idea of reverse engineering our life can be so helpful. All that means is that we have this picture in our minds of, of what it would look like for, for Tim or for Chris or for Tony or for Carrie to live this sort of life that Peter spells out for us, a life characterized by knowledge and godliness and self-control and perseverance. We say, okay, that's the, pic- that, that, that's the, that's the picture of, of where I'm, I'm headed. And then what we do is we start to say, if that's the direction I want to go, if, if, if that's the picture of me living this way, then here's the series of very intentional steps I need to take to move that direction. We get to work. Growth is rooted in God's grace, and it involves our effort. But growth also bears fruit in us. This is the third thing that Peter wants us to see here in this chapter. And this is encouraging. We, we should want to know that the soil we're planted in of God's grace, it, it produces something, you know? It's not an ineffective soil. We should want to know that all this effort we were just talking about, it's not just spinning our wheels. It gets us somewhere, right? We should want to know that growth in this area actually changes us. It makes us a different sort of people. Let me say it this way. Over the course of time, there should be identifiable ways you are different, I am different, because of Christ's work in me and through me. Over the course of time, we should be different because of Jesus. I'm going to come back to that in a minute because there's more, more there we, we want to appreciate. But first, let me make sure that, that you're hearing what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. Let's be clear on this, that everyone here for the rest of our lives will always struggle with sin. We've got to understand that. Not to discourage you, but to drive us to say, hey, we need Jesus, you know? That's a reality. I'm not calling us to perfection. I'm not saying that growth happens overnight. If we want to gauge growth, if we want to say, is Jesus really changing me? The way to do that is to compare us to ourselves five years ago, not five days ago. Or to bring somebody alongside of us who can help us compare ourselves to us five years ago, not five days ago. And then the last disclaimer is, I'm not saying we'll always grow in the ways we want to grow in. And this is the one that, that sometimes is toughest for us to wrap our minds around. Because I know people, we all know people who have been zeroing their sights on growing in one or two very specific areas. They want growth in that area. They are building things into their life to try to cultivate growth in that area, but they aren't seeing it. They still struggle with the same sin or whatever it might be. 
these people can become so discouraged because they've got blinders on and they're saying, here's where I want to grow and I'm not seeing it. But oftentimes, I find that these same people are growing in all sorts of ways they're completely unaware of. They're growing in prayer, dependence on God, repentance, forgiveness, confession, relying on others. They're growing in a multitude of ways that they're blind to. And church, that's where we as the body of Christ need to come alongside these people, point out growth where it's happening in our midst. One pastor says that we are always more prone to feel the absence of God into our, in our lives than to see his presence. That, that's true, isn't it? Un- until we have somebody come alongside of us and say, Tim, here's how I see God acting in your life. Here's how I see you growing. Where we have people come alongside of us and say, hey, you, you may not notice this, but I, but I saw the way you served that person last week. That's, that's evidence of God's grace working in you. Or you say, hey, you may not think it's a big deal, but the way you responded to that person who was kind of challenging your authority, that was a, that was a big deal because that shows that you're a different person now because of Christ. Because two years ago, you would have blown your top at that person. We need to be the sort of people here at Brookside that is always eager to point out the places we see God working and growing other people because it's entirely possible. The ways God is growing people, it's not in that spectrum of the thing they're focusing on. We need to point that out to them. So, so that's my long disclaimer list. Let's go back to what I said a minute ago. Over the course of time, there should be identifiable ways we are different because of Jesus' work in us and through us. And the attitudes this should call out in us is hope and vision because God isn't done with us yet. There there are still ways we need to grow. This list of virtues Peter mentions in verses 5, 6, and 7, we can see growth in these ways. Or, or later on, just a few verses down, in verses 10 and 11, Peter says, one of the ways Christ bears fruit in us, one of the ways our growth bears fruit, is in stability and, and anticipation. Look at this, verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, he's setting us up for the fruit that we should see because of Christ working in us. He says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. That's stability. It's not perfection. Because Peter, the dude that's writing this, he stumbled a couple really big times. So he's not calling for perfection, but but this is stability. And then verse 11, if you can pull that screen back up, verse 11 says, "And, and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This, this is hope. This is anticipation. Ultimately, the fruit of our Christian growth is seen in us being eagerly welcomed in, by Jesus into the eternal kingdom of Jesus. That's hope, right? That's one of the fruits that Christian growth should produce in us. But, 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 but growth isn't just about me individually. It's not just about personal formation. It is that, but let's not stop there. Because one of the things I want us to see is, is that Peter's life is an example of fruit, not just 
in a person, but fruit through a person. Let's go to verse 8 first of, of 2 Peter chapter 1. We read there that if you possess these qualities, all those virtues that Peter listed, he says, if you possess these in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you flip that statement around, you see Peter saying, hey, these virtues should make us effective and productive for Jesus Christ. It should produce something in us and through us. And again, he, here's where Peter's biography is so great. Peter had his rough edges that needed to get shaved off. We, we know that. If you know the Gospels, you know that. But one of the things that Peter always seemed to get was that Christ's saving work was never just an individual matter. It wasn't just about him and the 18-inch diameter circle that he stood in. No, Christ's saving work had implications that are worldwide, universal, cosmic in scope. Knowing Christ, in other words, should drive us to mission. It should keep us at the work Jesus started and now continues through us as his church. We see this in the life of Peter in Acts chapter 2, where Peter gets up in front of a crowd of thousands, and he says, Jesus Christ died, was crucified, is the king of creation, so repent and believe in his name. And 3,000 people became Christ's followers that day. Peter knew that knowing Jesus wasn't just about himself. In Acts chapter 10, we, we see Peter being very humbly but very directly confronted and, and corrected in, in a vision. And, and Peter becomes the first apostle to carry the good news of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, across cultural boundaries into the home and the living room and the family of a Gentile centurion. Peter knew that the good news of Jesus Christ wasn't just an individual matter. So Brookside, let, let's bear fruit by being changed individuals. But let's bear fruit as well by being sent individuals. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28? He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I'm with you to the very end of the age, but get at it. We need to hear that. I need to hear that. Okay, I need to settle down. Um, okay, our, our, our question, what does healthy Christian growth look like? All three of these things that we saw are important. Healthy growth is rooted in God's grace. For some of you, that's where you need to camp this afternoon. You need to go back and say, I've been rooting my growth in my effort, not in God's grace. Go back and remind yourself of everything Jesus Christ has done for us. If you don't know what that is, talk to the person who brought you here this morning. They would love to tell you about what Jesus Christ has done for them. Growth is rooted in grace, but it involves our effort. So let's get to work, and it bears fruit in changed lives and engaging ourselves on Christ's continuing mission. Let me just put the exclamation point that Peter does on this. Verses 12 to 15. I'm going to read these verses, and then Rob is going to come up and lead us in a couple more songs, I think. But, but Peter says, so I will always remind you of these things. Is, is that important? The drumbeat of Peter's life towards the end of his life is reminding us of these things that we just saw. Even though you know them, he says, and are firmly established in the truth you now have. 
I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made known to me. And I will make every effort. So, so see how Peter's spending his effort? I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Brookside, let's heed the word of the Lord. Let's root our growth in God's grace, involve ourselves in effort with that, and pray that God would see fit to bear fruit in us and through us by his grace. Amen.